From WOUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm April Leslie. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. This week, we visit the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and explore the history of this annual event. And Parents Weekend brought thousands of visitors to Athens last week. We'll explain why the event has remained popular. And we'll sit down with WOUB editor Susan Tebbin to talk about her coverage of the Hawking College rape investigation. But first, we'll explain what to expect at the first Country Night Lights Festival in Athens. Those stories and more are coming up on The Outlet. Stay with us. The 14th annual Mothman Festival attracted thousands to Point Pleasant, West Virginia over the weekend. WOUB's Jeremy Ludeman reports. The yearly event celebrates the Mothman, a wing-like monster creature spotted by locals just north of Point Pleasant in the mid-1960s. The legend says the Mothman appears before a tragic event as a warning. One of those tragedies was in 1967, when the silver bridge between Point Pleasant and Gallipolis, Ohio collapsed, killing 46 people. Kim Burkhardt and Melissa Roush are Point Pleasant natives. They remember hearing about the Mothman as children. Actually, I was just an infant when it happened, but my sister was young, six, and uh, it was, for the people that were here when it happened, it was pretty traumatic, um, especially at the end when the, when the bridge collapsed and we lost all those people. Jeff Wamsley is the curator of the Mothman Museum, which educates visitors from around the world about the tale 50 years after the first sightings. John Keel wrote the book Mothman Prophecies. That was 50 years ago, and 50 years later, people are still enthralled about, you know, what, what it was that people were actually seeing and stuff. So it happened here in Point Pleasant, and people still come here to, to look for it. The first sighting of the Mothman was in the TNT area, about nine miles north of the city. Walmsley says TNT was a popular place for high school kids in the 60s, but it also played an important role as an ammunition depot in World War II. That's where a lot of the kids would go to, uh, kind of a lover's lane, you know, they go to park and ride around and stuff. That's where they saw it first. Although the Mothman legend is tied to death and destruction, the yearly festival has grown into something bigger. The Riverside Cloggers provided a peppy performance at the intersection of 4th and Main Streets in the city, treating visitors and locals alike to a taste of Appalachian culture. Further down Main, the Grumpy Peddlers Club showed off classic Cushman and Simplex motorcycles. Local resident Wallace Fetty says he enjoys displaying his vehicles at area events. We just go to a lot of bike shows and whatever, and uh, there's several of us started doing this, so we decided we needed a name. and. Someone was making someone come up with grumpy peddlers, so that's what we did. All of us are old men, so we're probably grumpy. Festival goers could also get an autograph and a picture from television star Neil James from Animal Planet's Call of the Wild Man. He said he could definitely find a person to catch the creature at the center of the celebration. If Turtle Man was here, he probably would have caught the Mothman this year. I'm just <laughs> sure of it. Turtle Man, the main character of the show, has garnered fame by catching turtles, reptiles, and household nuisances throughout the nation. He did not make it to this year's event, but he has appeared at previous Mothman festivals. Although Turtle Man wasn't in Point Pleasant over the weekend, a few folks said they were ready to capture the Mothman if it came their way. 
Kevin Pauley from the West Virginia Division of the Ghostbusters said he hadn't seen him, but he knew he and his team were up for the challenge. I heard the Mothman was kind of floating around. We got some residue tracings of him, but I think he knows better than to hang out around us because, you know, we're the best at what we do. Artist Eric Fargiorgio from Erie, Pennsylvania brought some backup if the Mothman approached his booth. No, no, we're looking. That's why we brought our dogs with us. Mothman hunters over here. Meanwhile, Elizabeth Harvey drove two and a half hours from Fayette County, West Virginia, to the event. She also didn't find the Mothman, but she was more interested in what may have happened 50 years ago. I'm more interested in the history. I bought the book about the man that done the original stuff, so that'll keep me busy for a day or two. Along the midway, funnel cakes, frisbees, and t-shirts adorned the 1960s sketch of the Mothman while Burkhardt and Roush sold Mothman-scented soap. We have Mothman goat milk soap. It's all natural. We have soft woods and sweet pine. What we imagine where he is living, his lair would smell like. The festival began in 2002 and has grown in size since. Curator Wamsley says only 500 souls came to that first festival, but now he says the number is closer to 5,000, all of whom contribute to the local economy and continue to keep the legend of the Mothman alive. I'm Jeremy Ludeman reporting for WOUB News. Every September, Ohio University hosts a series of events just for the parents of students at OU. Reporter Madeline Keener explains why the weekend has thousands of parents coming back year after year. Cheers during OU's home game were punctuated by quieter voices, not often heard in Athens. It may be a little hard to tell, but parents flooded the stands during last week's victory against Southeastern Louisiana University. The gang kicked off OU's annual Parents Weekend, the events drawing in roughly 2,000 parents from around Ohio and out of state. Marianne Pachoni, a mother from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, says she is a Parents Weekend veteran. This is my fourth Parents Weekend here. My son's a senior. This, being at the game and, and the students uh, center over there and just walking around and seeing everybody, all the hoopla, it's fun. Parents Weekend is the university's most popular family-oriented weekend. Mom's Weekend comes in a close second. According to OU's Assistant Dean of Students, Jamie Patton, that may be due to the weekend's packed schedule. Man, we have all types of activities um, from our Black Sheep Improv, um, which is a student organization that typically does things on Friday evenings to, um, to hockey games both Friday and Saturday. We actually have a movie running at the Athena um, Theater, um, the football game, the traditional football game um, happening. We have a parents' brunch on Saturday. Um, so again, um, both day and night, both Friday and Saturday, uh, we have events happening that will engage the whole family from, um, from siblings to parents to grandparents and aunts and uncles. But a weekend full of events for students and their parents can leave some feeling left out. While there were no activities for students without family to participate in this weekend, Patton says that might change in the future. That's something that we will be looking at. Actually, we have goals set um, be, with the new programs for our students of foster and foster um, care that are aging out of the system. Um, that is something that we are looking forward to uh, to making happen in future years, including this year for Dad's Weekend and, and, and Mom's Weekend in the spring. The next family event at OU, Dad's Weekend, is scheduled for November 6th. For WOUB News, I'm Madeline Keener. 
For the first time, country music artists will make a stop in Athens as a part of the Country Night Lights Festival. Reporter Meg Ryan has more. Platinum recording artist Sam Hunt will headline the festival, which is making its first stop in Athens this year. The festival is being held at the venue off State Route 56, same location where thousands of music fans flock each year for Numberfest. But promoters, the same ones that put on Numberfest, are expecting a much smaller crowd for country nightlights compared to the Numberfest, which traditionally brings with it traffic problems, transportation issues, and safety concerns for people walking to and from the event. Athens County Sheriff Ronnie Smith says his officers will have a presence at the festival. We'll see how the country nights go, you know, and then we'll just see what goes. But I think the, the numbers fest is just a different venue. It's a different event altogether, so I don't think you can compare them. So this one goes nicely. I don't think you can say that, okay, this went well. I, I think the numbers fest will go well. Unlike Numberfest, festival goers will be allowed to camp at the venue or park their RVs at the Athens Fairground to take the free shuttle to the event. But those differences aren't enough to convince some to attend the festival so closely associated with Numberfest. Maria Trees, a junior at OU, is not attending the event because of safety concerns. When I went to 13 Fest, the transportation was really bad and it seemed really unsafe to get there. And then they shut the buses down on the way home and we had to walk and I just don't want to experience that again. Regardless of the size of the crowd, Sheriff Smith says his office, along with other agencies, will have a significant presence for the event. So we're, we're going to do all we can. We're going to have officers on the venue and on the other side, and we'll assist the state patrol if, if we can. But we're going to focus on our area, then the state patrol and the city police can focus on what their areas are in their prospective jurisdictions. The concert is on Saturday, and tickets are $40 each. For The Outlet, I'm Meg Ryan. With only a month into the academic year, one nearby university has already been the focus of a rape investigation. I sat down with WOUB's assignment editor, Susan Tebbin, to discuss the details of the controversial case. All right, we're here today with Susan Tebbin, who's WOUB's news assignment editor, and she covered the Hawking College rape investigation. Susan, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Okay, so can you give us a brief summary of what's been happening? Um, yeah, it's kind of hard to be brief with this one because it's a really complicated uh, case. But um, basically what happened was on September the 1st, um, Hawking College received a report from a female saying that she had been drinking at an OU event, um, according to her, and she went to a party, somehow ended up um, back at Hawking College where she goes to school, reportedly. And um, she couldn't get back into her dorm. She had been drinking at the at the party at OU, allegedly, so she had lost her keys, is what she tells police, and she approached a group of individuals. She said uh, that there were women in the uh, group, at, and also men, but once she uh, approached the group, um, reportedly that they, the females had broken away from the group. Um, she told police this story three times, so there were um, little changes within the story um, based on her memory, and I'm sure being asked the questions a few times, you remember certain things or you don't remember certain things. But she uh, said that she approached the group of individuals. Um, one of them said that they were a Hawking College student, according to the police report, and um, they said that they could help her get into her room or the uh, residence that she was getting into. Um, she got into whatever that residence was. And um, the next thing that she remembers is waking up with five males, um, none of which were clothed. She was not clothed. Uh, she says she woke up about 4 a.m. and she had pain in her thighs and her shoulder. She basically, she, she left wherever she was. It's sort of hard to recollect what she remembers about walking out, where she was, um, what she was doing. Um, so 
She went to the counseling center at Hawking College first. Um, they referred her to an advocacy center, who then referred her to the police. Uh, the police took these reports, and again, she um, they told they asked her to tell the story uh, three times, three different times. Um, and she, uh, it's redacted in the report the description of the individuals. Nobody's been charged. Nobody's been arrested in this case. Um, and yeah, so the report that the media got um, had a lot of uh, details uh, missing from it, which they typically do when there's personal information and we're talking about a rape allegation. So obviously they're going to leave uh, some details out of public eye. Um, but it talks about uh, she stated that they were all and then it's blank and that they were blank. So there's no description allowed to the public. There's no uh, real confirmation of who these people were, whether there are any persons of interest in this case, whether there's anything. Um, and so she, when she reported it to the police department, they then referred it to the Athens County Prosecutor's Office, uh, which is where it now stands. Um, Athens County Prosecutor Keller Blackburn says that the investiga investigation is still ongoing. So that's where we stand right now. So how did students find out about this? Well, mainly through the media, um, there was a lot of social media. Um, the uh, spokesperson, Mike Brown, over at Hawking College, he had said that uh, people were stirred by social media, is what he told me, um, and that they there were people outside of Southeast Ohio that had been weighing in on this, um, trying to give information that may or may not have been at all verified or true or confirmed or any of that sort of nature. So... A lot of it went through social media. There was no official crime alert um, given by Hawking College to the students or the staff. Um, and why is that? Have they spoken about that? Yeah, um, President Betty Young said in, a, in an email to just staffs and students, it wasn't released publicly to the media. I obtained it uh, through a source. But she said that the college was, uh, quote, not aware of any facts in this recent case that would lead to, campus safety, to, a, to a campus safety alert. So, um, and, and in a lot of cases that I've dealt with, uh, with these sorts of things, and we talked to OUPD about this as well, um, when you're dealing with whether you're going to put out a campus safety alert or not, a lot of it has to do with if they think that there's a danger to the public, if they think that there's uh, someone out there that's on the run trying to continue doing this. So there's not... Um, President Young didn't go into any other detail as to why they uh, didn't release a safety alert, just that they thought there wasn't any uh, imminent facts that said they need to release something. And why do you think this case in particular has been receiving so much traction on social media? Um, I think it's, well, partly because um, the, the um, other media reports, other media outlets have reported that uh, football players were involved. There has been no confirmation of that. There has been Hawking College has not even gone near commenting about that. Um, they just had their first Hawking home game, uh, home football game last week, and uh, there was just no mention of it. Um, we've had protesters, and uh, the protesters have had. Um, sort of a lot of things to talk about where it goes to Hawking College anyway. So this was sort of just another straw on the pile. Um, we've had um, complaints about um, the new president. Some people don't like the new president. They think she's, she was not the right person for the job. Um, and there's a deficit over at Hawking College. Um, obviously, we've had those grievances filed by employees who believe they were fired or removed for 
reasons that were not appropriate. Um, so there's just been a lot going on at Hawking College and a lot um, that's been causing you know, friction between the Hawking College community and the Hawking College administration. So this was just sort of another thing, it seemed like. Um, I talked to uh, protesters, WOUB talked to protesters that said, you know, it's not really all about football. It's not all about the sexual assault allegation. It's about everything that's been going on um, and everything that we think is, is wrong with what's happening in Hawking College. Um, the other part is when the Hawking College football team was first started, they um, recruited um, a member of the Steubenville football team who was um, served time, was convicted for uh, a rape in Steubenville, which was a very public case, which involved the uh, the activist group Anonymous. And uh, actually, I talked to the the man who claimed he was part of that Steubenville case for Anonymous, and he said that the victim had talked to him and sort of asked him to represent her, but then backed away, and she is now not in contact with him, apparently. But he had sort of gotten involved with the protests, and it was, uh, he had gotten involved with the Hawking College protests, because there was a Facebook page called Hawking, Restoring Hawking College Protest, was what the Facebook page was called. And he started commenting on that. He sort of pushed for them to protest, even though they had already had this protest, they say had been had been planned for a while. Um, so he sort of inserted himself into that, um, as far as we're told, and um, sort of added this little tidbit uh, of uh, sexual assault to a pile of other things that they were they were angry about, the protesters. Is there a rumor saying that one of the perpetrators was that stupid football player? Media outlets have reported that that is a rumor, um, and that's just what it is. It is a rumor at this point. Nobody from Hawking College Police Department, nobody from Hawking College Administration, nobody from the prosecutor's office um, has confirmed or denied or any spoken about the uh, the football players being involved. Um, and as far as that is concerned, that's that's as far as the rumor goes because we don't have any way of verifying that. Okay. And I also understand that we're getting conflicting reports about whether the investigation is ongoing. Initially, all we had was Hawking College spokesperson says this, there's no investigation. The prosecutor says there is an investigation. And actually, when Mr. Brown made those comments about no arrest, no crime, um, that caused um, Prosecutor Blackburn to have to release a statement when he had essentially said no comment. He was trying to keep his investigation going as it was. So he released a statement that said that what Mr. Brown had said was false. So as it stands now, is there still an investigation ongoing? As far as I know, there's still investigation. I haven't heard any any other word. Um, there's still no arrests. There's still no charges. Um, they still haven't mentioned any persons of interest. They haven't uh, mentioned where they are in the case. Um, but as far as I know, both the Title IX and the criminal investigation are still ongoing. Okay, thanks so much, Susan. Susan Tebbin is the news assignment editor for WUB News, and she covered the Hawking College rape investigation. Thanks again. Thank you. Ohioans will vote on an issue this fall that could legalize marijuana growth, sale, and use in Ohio. Responsible Ohio is a group of investors pushing the plan. In the first of a five-part series on Issue 3, Ohio Public Radio's Joe Ingalls takes a look at the plan and what's in it for communities. 
Issue 3 would do more than just make marijuana legal in Ohio. It would allow 10 pre-selected growing sites owned by investors who are paying for this campaign. It would allow retail sales and regulation of marijuana. And it would allow Ohioans to grow up to four pot plants at home if they get a permit from the state first. The executive director of Responsible Ohio, Ian James, says his group hired an outside firm to run numbers to see what passage of the proposed constitutional amendment would do for Ohio's economy. James says it would put millions of dollars in tax revenue into local government coffers each year. It would generate $554 million each year, and we actually believe that that is conservative. And when it comes to total economic impact, like jobs created and businesses started, he says the number is about $2 billion. Let's finally get to the point of creating jobs from this new industry. Let's tax this marijuana. Let's use that marijuana to fund our safety services, to fund the construction and repair of our bridges, and deal with the infrastructure that's collapsing around us in our communities. Let's fill potholes with pot money. All of this talk about new taxes for local governments is welcome news for some local leaders, such as Pete Gherkin, a Lucas County commissioner. He says his county stands to gain $17 million a year in tax revenue if Issue 3 passes. That can then be used for economic development, uh, social programming, and, and road restoration. The breakdown in Lucas County is about $7 million to the county itself, about $7 million to the city of Toledo, our largest city uh, in the county, and then a million, million to the next smaller um, municipalities. Gherkin says the county money can be used to build a new jail because the current one is in such bad shape that it's under a federal court order to relieve overcrowding. He says it's almost the amount that his county lost since 2010 through state cuts to local government funds. But those who oppose Issue 3 question those projections. Kurt Steiner is running an opposition campaign called Ohioans Against Marijuana Monopolies. He says local officials he's talking to are skeptical. People we're talking to don't believe that they're going to get that kind of money. People there think there's always a shell game associated with those kind of things. Steiner's coalition says the marijuana stress could actually end up hurting other businesses since Issue 3 would allow for as many as 1,159 retail marijuana stores statewide. And he adds that's more locations than Starbucks or McDonald's and nearly three times the number of state liquor stores. Steiner says that could make it more expensive for businesses to operate in Ohio. It's up to local communities to decide whether to allow the stores. A reporter for Colorado Public Radio, Ben Marcus, has followed the growth of the pot industry there since 1999, when the state legalized pot only for medicinal use. And he's seen an explosion of growth in Denver, where he lives, since a recreational marijuana proposal was passed in 2012. He says there are now 200 stores in Denver. So imagine you're a Jamba Juice coming into Denver. You're competing with this huge industry that is taking up every available good storefront in the city. And so it does have an impact. It raises rates. It raises rates for landlords who own retail spaces. It raises rates for landlords who own warehouse spaces. It helps the construction industry if all of a sudden you have to build a bunch of lights and plant beds to grow your marijuana. So clearly it's having an impact. But 
But then again, Marcus says Denver's economy was already on the upswing before the widespread marijuana legalization, so he says it's hard to tell the true impact. He says Colorado has already pulled in $50 million in state tax revenue so far this year. When told the projected tax revenue in Ohio would be $554 million when it's fully up and running in 2020, Marcus laughs a little. If Colorado doesn't have those numbers now, then what makes you think that your state's going to have those? A recent Quinnipiac study shows of the Ohioans who support legalized marijuana in general, more than 80 percent say they would never use it. If that is close to being accurate, it raises questions about the projected revenue. Joe Ingalls at the Ohio Public Radio Statehouse News Bureau. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. The outlet is produced each week by me, April Leslie. We're edited by Atish Baija, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is written and performed by Ryan Gabus. Subscribe to the outlet on iTunes or find us online at woub.org. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.